Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening and let's get to it. Okay, well, thank you very much. I've taken a little bit of a hiatus on the uh, on the podcasting because, uh, you know, just thinking about things and how I wanted it to progress. Um, I appreciate tremendously all of the ongoing support. And uh, we're switching the format a little bit. There will still be some interviews, um, but I'm also transitioning to providing some of my own content. So what you should hear for the next couple of podcast episodes would be more personal stuff, uh, a little bit more teaching, and hopefully different ways I can deliver value to you. As always, I really value your input and if possible, I would appreciate if you would reach out on any of the social channels uh, or just email me, rabbirupp at gmail.com or jrupp at h.edu uh, and provide some suggestions for me of how I could better serve. And one of the things that I'm hoping you will see at this point is that we are extremely focused on living a better life. And one of the most important components of that is getting the direction and the one-on-one -on -one work that you need in order to live better. So I am a strong proponent of coaching. I do a lot of coaching myself, and I would encourage you, if you're listening to this, to please do what many other people have done. Reach out. Let's have a conversation. There's no obligation to you whatsoever uh, to see if we might be a good fit to work together. And if that might not be the case, I would be thrilled to introduce you to any of the multitude of options and networks and people that I know who could provide that help. So again, please reach out via social channels, whatever it might be. I don't think I'm too hard to find. Certainly not, I hope. And, uh, and, and let me know how I could be of benefit to you. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you all for joining me today uh, on what will hopefully be a, uh, a value-based uh, situation uh, where we will discuss the concept of building confidence. Now, <clears throat> ironically, you might ask yourself, what in the world does a rabbi have to offer the world when it comes to confidence? Um, and that's a good question. And ultimately, I'm going to come as a human being and I'm going to try to apply relevant Jewish teachings to the topic of confidence. Uh, but if a person would take it, um, well, it's an interesting thing. How does, how does one define confidence? How does one say they're a confident person? Is, is what, are the, what are the measurements of or rectifications of being a confident person? So these are all very important questions that we have to start by hopefully developing a little bit of thought around, a little bit of, of, of practically like what are we trying to get out of it, and, uh, and, then, and then go forward from there. So oftentimes when I approach a topic like this, I like to start with what does the opposite look like? So what does it look like for a person who is not confident? Um, so the idea, the idea here would be that one who is not confident is ultimately feeling uh, limited or unable to pursue whatever they want in a given area. So for example, and again, confidence is not a stamp of approval on a person, but usually it manifests itself as your ability to pursue what you want in a given area. So for example, let's say you're tremendously confident about your ability to navigate uh, navigate Zoom or to turn on and use, I don't know, an Apple or a PC, but you, you, you have a lack of confidence in dating, right? Or you have a lack of confidence in in, in your fitness or your health. So instead of saying, now very often, now okay, words are very important. The power of words are profound. 
where, where, where can we see that? Well, let's just go to Judaism, right? That the God created the world based on speaking. And he gave over, there's a famous uh, a discussion in the Talmud about who owns everything. And so basically the outcome is that, that God owns everything, but he gives it to us for us to enjoy by, using, by, by use of a blessing. So by saying a blessing over what we're about to imbibe, right, we take the status from something that belongs to God and makes it belong to us. So we can effectively change something's status. We can change reality with the way that we speak. This is, again, it's a Jewish concept, but everyone's going to talk about this. Every philosopher talks about this. Every psychologist talks about this. Certainly every motivational speaker and coach talks about this. So how you frame and how you talk about things is naturally going to orient your brain in such a way where you see sort of what you want to see. So someone who sees a disaster versus someone who sees an opportunity, it could be the very same thing. But the person that sees the opportunity is going to be someone that excitedly takes advantage of it or tries to solve opportunity is positive right? I'm excited for an opportunity. A disaster is by definition negative. So again, let's say there's a tornado. A tornado we would call by colloquial definition. And again, who comes up with these definitions? Oftentimes it's the news media who they themselves have a vested interest in this. They will say it's a national or na excuse me, natural disaster. Now, if you are someone who is in the, uh, if you are in the, you know, the repair business or you're in the, um, you know, you, you're, you're in insurance, right? And you're in insurance in a, in, a, in a region that's close by, but not affected by it. So you might look at that. And again, we don't even want to say it, but that's an unbelievable opportunity for you. Let's say you're, because, why? Because then you have an opportunity to sell insurance because you can say, hey, look what happened over here. Or you're in a situation where you could say, hey, let's build products and services that can address this newly identified population. <clears throat> So the way that you say something, the way that you structure something, the way that you look at something is going to naturally affect how you show up and the reaction that you have to it, right? So someone that, that, that likes thorny problems, right? So they look at that, they say, well, that's exciting, that's very cool. Oftentimes, again, for me personally, when I'm working with people in a coaching environment, right, someone will, will pour out their, their worst problems and I'll get really excited about it. I wouldn't say I'm excited for their pain because obviously you have to identify with the person's pain, but this is an exciting opportunity for us to examine how you look at things and create an, a, a new solution for the challenge. So the most important thing, first of all, is how we frame everything. So oftentimes we'll start, oftentimes people say, I have a confidence problem, and they'll make it a general across the board issue. And very often that's not true. But what happens when you say, I, am, I don't have confidence, or I don't you know, believe I have confidence, so to speak, what that does is it kind of limits you down and it labels you, and it basically says you are someone that has this. And it, and it stretches now to all of the different areas in your life. So it might be, you say, I, you know, let's say you're having trouble dating, you're having trouble dating, or you're having trouble in your marriage, and you say, I don't have confidence to stand up for myself, right? But what comes out instead is I'm not a confident person. So then when you're in the office, so to speak, and an issue comes up, you might click into that idea that you had was saying essentially, I'm not confident, right? I'm not a confident person. And so that will affect your performance across the board. So really what confidence is, is that you have a level of reliance on your on your competence to accomplish a specific goal. And confidence is not an overarching thing. Confidence is a 
is an air is a is a is a definition of success in an, a specific area. So that's a very important piece. Number one, why? Because it allows us to shrink the problem down and make it applicable. So if a person says to themselves, "I am lacking confidence," you have to start by asking yourself, "Where? How does it show up?" What does it look like for you? And that's ultimately, again, this is actually a very, very deep idea, which is also a Jewish idea, but we're expressing it in the, in the, uh, we'll go in a different, in a different vein. There, if a person, what is therapy all about when we come down to it? It's that you have an experience that for you is huge. It's a huge experience, right? You go through trauma. You go through a, 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 something that, that is experientially uh, crippling. And then you go to therapy and then you talk about it. So why does that help? Again, why is just the process of talking about it helpful? Is because words are limited. So you have to take something which is esoteric and large and condense it down into something that is limited. And once it's limited, there's something you can do about it, right? So by talking through something, you're qualifying it, you're clarifying it, you're building it into little columns of which you can start to solve. Does that make sense? So the same thing's true when it comes to judging yourself and thinking through the different things that you're working on. If you would make a statement like, I'm not confident, right? What that effectively does is that it, it, it will close down and make this lack of confidence appear across a variety of sectors in your life, which you don't want. On the flip side, if you say, I'm confident, and again, this is just a fun, fun idea, that also might problematically stretch itself out. Now, everyone would say, in a lot of cases, that overconfidence is problematic, which means essentially I am more comfortable and confident in my skill set than I actually might be. Why is that problematic? Well, because that opens you up to a tremendous amount of exposure on the other side. Let's say, for example, again, one of the things that I'm always very careful to say is I'm not a licensed therapist, right? I'm, uh, I, I want to say that because if I'm coming across as overconfident and then I'm starting to present services in an area that I have not been specifically trained, right? So then as a result, if I slip up in those areas, I'm the idiot, not my client. I'm the one that overpromised. Again, similarly saying, if you are... If you're not aware, essentially, what you are and what you provide and what you're good at, but rather you're thinking you're better than you are, granted, it might allow you to stretch for opportunity, but the problem with it is that you'll probably stretch for opportunity at the peril and at the... At the um, at, the, at, at your own risk and usually not doing a good job. Because at the end of the day, and this is what I tell everyone I work with, if you are not sure that you're delivering the value of what you're saying you deliver, so ultimately that makes you really unethical. And that's a problem. So overconfidence in a lot of ways is unethical because it makes you think that you are more competent and capable than you actually are. That's a bad thing. Right on the flip side, being underconfident, right, means that you don't feel competent and capable in in a, in a certain area, and that's fine. But if you say overall I don't have confidence, it's going to impact everything. So the first step when it comes to discussing something like confidence, which again we 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 define as your sense, your reliance on your competence in a given area. You have to be careful to be minute, to have minutia in where you analyze what, where you don't have confidence. So if a person says, I don't have confidence or I'm confident, that's not a good thing to say because that's not true. You have to figure out where you feel unconfident or where you feel confident. And then once you've sort of broken that down into minutia, then we can go forward and figure out how do we, how do we go the next step. 
Hopefully, at this point, you will have appreciated. You can appreciate that. There's no such person that's completely confident or completely unconfident. And a lot of times we can borrow, again, because this is this is a, one of my favorite teachings from Judaism, is it talks about King David. So King David, we know when he was kind of on the up on the on the rise, right? There was a uh, there was a war against uh, against Goliath, against Goliath. And the Jews were fighting the Pelishtim, the Philistines, and King Saul, who was the king at that time, we like the, like again, Goliath was the biggest guy, the scariest guy. He was super tall. He was super strong. It was, um, you know, uh, uh, Barack Lenzer. If you if you follow UFC, like or uh, or who's that huge guy? Um, you know, uh, uh, Derek Lewis, right? So like this huge, looking, like a Hulk Hogan type of guy. And the Jews in that time were significantly strong, uh, smaller. And so so Goliath had this tremendous, uh, paralyzing, terrible effect on anyone that would go up and try to fight with him. And King David, who was, according to all opinions, a very small man, right? So, so King David had the tendency, he would go out and, and he offered, he raised his hand to Saul and he said, I'll fight him. So King Saul said, as you would expect, uh, okay, but like what makes you feel confident in your ability here to be, to be successful against this unbelievably powerful individual? To which David said, this is the greatest line, he said, when I was a boy, I was a shepherd, and there was once a time that a lion grabbed the sheep a sheep in his mouth, and I and I pulled the sheep out. And then another time there was a bear that attacked the sheep, and I was able to save the sheep from the bear. And just like God made me successful there, so he I know he'll make me successful over here. And we know the secret was, you know, he had the sling and he threw it, took the five stones, and he hit and he killed. Very good. Okay. So that is a fundamental piece where a person has to start when it comes to building their competence and their confidence because it's a realization that a person can always look to areas in their life in the past where they did achieve success or competence, which is very important. So if a person is able to say, hmm, you know, in my life, I did have a problem over here and I was successful over there, right? They can borrow those experiences and then apply them to the area where they are not comfortable in. So for example, and again, why is that difficult? Because a lot of us are so focused on identifying problems in our life that we have a very hard time identifying where we've been successful in the past, right? We are always drawn towards, this is a deep Breslov concept or whatever, right? A Jewish concept that, that nature, I even spoke about this a little bit last night, that the, na the nature of the world is that it pulls us down. Right, and you have to work against your nature in order to be happy, in order to be growth oriented, in order to be forward facing, because the natural of the world is it's transitioning, it's moving towards death. Death. Right now, if a person is busy looking at all the things they don't do right, it's oftentimes very difficult for them to think about all the things that they have done right. Right, and that they have been successful out in the past. And you might ask a person that's really suffering from a lack of confidence, right, across the board now, and they don't even know what, where or why they're unconfident. Like, what have you done in the past? And they might not even know, you know, what they were successful at. They might not even know, hey, when I, you know, so the goal is, and again, this is, this is, I'm kind of teaching how I coach, and I'm also teaching how I think about it for myself, is you have to slow down and narrow the gap. And if you feel overall unconfident, you have to slow down until you can find a time in your life 
where you were successful and it was not an intrinsic success. It was something that you actually got better at over time in order for you to show that you can actually increase and get better at what you're doing as you go through your life, if that makes sense. So let's say, for example, you might tell someone, someone might say, I'm not confident as a boss. I'm a terrible boss. I don't know how to tell people what I want. I don't know how to delegate effectively. I'm too scared to admit it because I'm afraid that people are going to lose faith in me. So I can't even tell people that I don't feel comfortable doing this. And, and I overall, it's a terrible experience. Great. So then the next question would be, well, where in your life, what in your life can you look at and point your finger at and say, I've gotten progressively better at that over time. And so one of the areas you might think to yourself is, well, um, you know, as a parent, let's say as a parent, I was, I had a very hard time in my life uh, figuring out how to listen effectively to my kids or with bedtime or with time management wherever it was. And then over my life, I can see that I've gotten better at that. Uh, me personally, I used to feel highly triggered by when people would think weird things about me, right? Or the idea for me, I always, I spent a lot of time for myself and I spent a lot of time in my career training non-professional, non-profit professionals how to actively solicit and ask for money for their services. Now, it's one thing if you're a fundraiser and you're able to go up to someone and say, hey, you want to support my institution? It's a much different thing to say, hey, I personally have this good or service and I would like to sell it to you because the nonprofit world, that's not really what you're doing, right? So I've seen myself get much more comfortable with my own process of being able to do that and also been able to help other people. So I can identify a thing in my life that over my life, if I look at it from year one to year five, in my career or, or whatever it might be, I've gotten better at it. So once you have that anchored in your mind, you appreciate for yourself how through effort and through a strategy, you will get better at something. That makes sense. And so therefore, the first step into building confidence is to slow the gap down and to find an area in your life where you have gotten progressively better at it. And you have to be able to see it and to acknowledge it, not just kind of think, yeah, 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 whatever it is. It's like, no, there was a time you couldn't do this. There was a time you could do it. And, and you've gotten better over time. So now what you see is, because again, the, 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 the phantom fear, so to speak, the reason why people are concerned about this is that we think that we are as good as we're going to get. We have a problem seeing our life in a linear motion. We are completely, as much as we try not to think like this, we live in the present, right? So either I'm good at something or I'm not good at something. I'm frustrated or I'm not frustrated. And so part of that, I mean, that's a, that's a general rule when dealing with people is that the way that a person might talk to you or the problems that they might have or the challenges that they might have that might not be really be the problem, and that might not be a problem for a long time. Oftentimes, that br brilliant advice in terms of avoiding fighting or whatever it might be, let's say you have to have a difficult conversation with someone. And why is it a difficult conversation? It's because you're like, I don't know what this person's going to say. And one of the reasons why you don't know what this person's going to say is because you don't know what you're going to want to say, because you just have a veiled sense of uncomfort or lack of happiness. And you just want to be like, bah, I feel terrible, right? Or you're terrible, right? That might come out. But, and again, what are they supposed to say to that? So you probably should be concerned because if you give a person like nothing to work with or nothing specific, or you haven't really thought it out, right? And you're just like throwing it all on their plate. So they probably won't know. So in that case, what do we say? Don't pick up the phone when you're angry. Don't pick up the phone when you're depressed. Don't pick up the phone when you're frustrated, right? Don't do that. 
because probably what's going to come out has a lot more to do with you than it has to do with them. And, and anyone that's been in a conflict with a person can probably relate to this experience because oftentimes you wonder, what am I even fighting about? And you keep driving towards a, a, a goal, but you don't really know what you want from them because you don't really know what you wanted from them in the first place. You just know you're angry at them and you want them to know they're ang you're angry at them. And they're like, well, what are you mad at? And they're like, ah, I hate you. And you're like, okay, great. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? So when you find yourself being caught up in the moment, at that moment, it's better, right, to learn how to slow down and to start to jot these things down. So oftentimes what I'll do for myself or I'll tell clients to do or people to do is if you need to have a difficult conversation, great. It's time to have a difficult conversation, but have it with yourself on a piece of paper. Have it, you know, write a letter to that person, write it down that person, what exactly is wrong? Because first of all, as you write things down, what will inevitably happen is that you will find yourself less driven out of emotion and more driven out of peace and out of structure and it will become clear. And then you sit on it for an hour, five hours, a day, right? And you go back and look at it the second day and oftentimes what will have happened is your mood has shifted so much or circumstances has shifted so much that you might realize that 95% of that really was you and not them. But there's still 5% that something that they did. And then you're able to put that 5% out there in order for you to uh, give them information and feedback in a way that would be ultimately beneficial for the two of you. Make sense? So again, if a person's easily triggered and has a tendency to fly off and fire away emails, right? And then you learn this process of writing down my thoughts and being clear about my communication and not coming across as overly emotional or freaked out or upset. So you can look at your life and say, I've gotten effective in this area of becoming a better communicator. And what you appreciate, again, like we mentioned, the problem with most of our social interactions is that we live in the present, but actually we exist on a continuum. But it feels like we're right here, but like there's a continuum going on. And so if we could appreciate that we are a work in progress, and we spoke about this earlier this week uh, on Tuesday about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. If we can appreciate that we can always get better, if we can appreciate that we can always improve, right? So then we are always going to be in, in, a, in a mindset where even though I might not feel competent now, I could implement steps to feel more competent in the future. Now that I talked about making a blessing, Therefore, um, the first step to confidence is find the area, practically find one area where you are wanting to work. Then find examples in your life where you have been successful in the past. Now you can figure out what would it look like for me if I would feel I would have confidence. Now that also is a very important, very challenging step. Why? Because we oftentimes identify success without knowing what it looks like. I want to be rich. I want to be skinny. I want to be, um, you know, I want to be confident. All these different kinds of things. Now the problem with this is, this is Brian Tracy, I think, where he speaks about that you need to have SMART goals. SMART goals are an acronym for different types of goals. One of the most, one is like SMART, S is specific, M is measurable. 
Um, I don't remember the ART. I'll look it up. I'll get back to you, right? But those two things, specific and measurable. So if a person says, I want to have a successful organization, but you haven't identified what that looks like, so then by definition, it's going to be highly problematic for you to start to do it because you don't know what it looks like. And even worse than that, if you might have achieved it, you don't even realize you achieved it. So you're in a consistent cycle of just being perpetually unhappy. So you have to set yourself up in the beginning to win, right? Why? Because you have to set um, expectations for what those things would look like. So if you say to yourself, boy, I'm not feeling confident. Again, I, let's go back to dating or let's go back to, to let's, let's say dating. I don't feel confident in dating. I'd like to feel more confidence, right? So then the second question I'd always ask is, well, what does confidence look like? What does a confident dater look like? And then you're like, hmm, I never thought about that right? So sometimes people think, well, I can get as many dates as I want. So then you have to even drill down even further and say, well, is the goal to generate as many outcomes as you want? Or is the goal to effectively take one outcome through to completion? Because again, there are people that just want to date forever. There are other people that are dating for the idea of, of building a relationship. There are other people that are dating to get married. So you got to figure out like what your goals are, right? So a confident dater for someone that doesn't want to get married would be a completely failure of a, da a dater. First, again, then a person who's confident in dating says, I've been on 3,000 dates in my life. I'm 75 years old. I've never gone on a second date. That perhaps would let, lead to like, maybe I'm not terribly successful with that. So you have to niche down to what success looks like in whatever given thing that you're trying to in endeavor to understand, right? So let's say it's dating. So you say, I want a date to get married, which means that I need to be able to generate, um, I, I, I need to be able to generate um, a, a reliable number of second and third and fourth dates. So it doesn't really matter how many people I'm dating in the beginning, but what matters is I need to be able to get multiple dates out of one because if I'm trying to get married, I'm moving it from a first date to I'm trying to get to the next date. Does that make sense? So again, you look at, you look at any of these things strategically like a business. So you'd say that a confident dater is able to go out with someone figure out if they are good for a second date and then be able to get to the second date or to be able to get to the third date. And so it requires you to break down your own system essentially to figure out, well, where is the system broken and how can I jump in and fix it? What do I need? If that makes sense. So then you say to yourself, okay, I actually can get the second date, but I don't feel confident getting a third date. So then you have to figure out what does someone who has enough confidence in dating use? How do they get to date number three? This is absolutely crucial. There's a famous book called Kohelis or Ecclesiastes where King Solomon says there is nothing new under the sun, right? Now, one of the ideas there is that we think that everything is unique. Our life is unique. Our circumstances are unique. What we need is unique, etc., etc. Not true. King Solomon says, nothing new is under the sun, which essentially means that anywhere or anything you want to accomplish, someone else has thought through and worked on, and you can get that information how to do it for yourself right? We're not, it, it's, it's our job. Our job is not to necessarily generate the most number of outcomes in a given situation. Our job is to just identify who's figured it out and then go accordingly in that direction. So then it would be, the next step would be figure out what, now that I know sort of what I'm missing, who has that information or how could I get that information to get better at the area that I'm looking to get better at? Okay, so that is the next piece. And so then again, how do you figure that out? Well, it's one of two things. Either it's you're messed up and someone needs to know you well to figure out where you messed yourself up, 
or someone else has the information and you have to go out and find enough people that have the circumstances that can be valuable to you. So again, if I want more confidence, I want a date for marriage and I want help in dating and I can get two dates, no problem, but I have a hard time getting that third date so that I would find people, maybe most likely recently married people who are in the same boat as me. And I would say, how did you manage this situation? Where were you on your second date? You go into research mode because research, research mode is unemotional. Right, and it's the further we can get away from the emotions, right? I'm such a failure because I can't get a second date. I'm pathetic, all that kind of stuff. People like to say that a lot, right? Which again, dampens your overall performance and I recommend not doing it, right? So the more you go into research mode and you can ask people, how does this work and how can I make this happen and what's going on, right? Practically speaking from people that have actually done it, right? Which is like, that's, I can't, you'd like to think that such a thing would be obvious but it's for sure not obvious. Most people try to get information from people who haven't done it, right? And people who, we don't check whether or not they figured it out. We don't check whether or not they've been successful. So you actually have to vet the information coming in because if the information hasn't actually worked, it's like theory, right? Like, um, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna say any examples, but hopefully you understand what I'm saying, all right? So, so again, you're getting marriage advice from someone that has a terrible marriage, something like that, like it, it doesn't work. Or maybe you wanna say, well, this person does know what not to do, so therefore I can't get there. But you wanna be very clear about how do you uh, how do you vet the information that you're looking for in order for you to figure out, is this gonna help me? And then it's a matter of learning enough that you can implement. So, and, and, and okay, great, that's the next step. So figure out who's got the information, learn the information, learn the information so you have enough confidence you can start to implement, and then implement at a pace that you feel comfortable with. And again, that's you, right? So you have to, uh, a lot of people like to over, uh, Tony Robbins says people underestimate what they can do in a day, overestimate, what they could do in a day and underestimate what they could do in five years, right? So oftentimes you think to yourself, okay, this is simple and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bring, I'm just gonna do it. And it's like, no, you're probably not because it's hard to do something new. So you have to break the system down so that you can implement now so that it's not so hard. So for example, let's say you, your, your health is out of whack and you know, the goal naturally won't people want to just, I want to lose hundred pounds tomorrow. So I'm going to work on my eating plan. I'm going to work on my fitness plan. I'm going to work on my water plan, all that kind of stuff. And oftentimes that's completely overwhelming because you're changing too many things at once. So you have to be gentle with yourself. You say, you know what? I can drink an extra cup of water today, or I can go for an extra, an extra walk around the block today. And you start small because you're implementing changes slowly over time. But what are you doing in that process? You're now adding to your bank of areas where you are getting a little bit better than you were intrinsically. So that's absolutely fascinating and functional and crucial because that's ultimately how you build your confidence because you are slowly getting better over time, right? And so if you're able to say, I'm gonna build my confidence in that fashion, the only alternative is gonna be that you're gonna get consistently better in that area. Now, two other pieces. Piece number one is you have to be uber careful to be uber, um, have a tremendous amount of self-compassion in this process because you're, you're learning. And we, we cannot, we are so quick to label ourselves failures, but the reality is that if you are doing something new that you don't know how to do, of course you're gonna fail until you get good at it, right? So you have to be unbelievably compassionate with yourself and you also have to reward yourself for the small steps you make. Very often the biggest thing that screws people up that I see, 
is that when they do make tremendous strides in whatever thing they were trying to do, they minimize that. And they're like, well, whatever, I should have been, I should have been in this place already. And it's like, no, you're an idiot. Why? Okay, not, don't say that. But why? Because the very fact that you can see yourself getting better and call attention to the fact that you're getting better is going to do a tremendous amount to continually feed into the system where you're getting better and you're getting better and you're getting better. And you cease to see yourself, again, ultimate, the ultimate confidence is, is when you see yourself as someone who could get better, so then the ultimate confidence is that, because then you can accomplish anything. And if you're not accomplishing what you want to accomplish, it's not because there's anything wrong with you, it's just because you haven't worked through the system in order to be successful in that area, if that makes sense. So again, we want to just go back and kind of look through the whole thing. Hopefully this was helpful. There's a lot more teaching uh, and, 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 than ranting. So that's hopefully that's good or bad, whatever it is. So give me a second. Step number one in, in terms of building, building confidence is that we have to start by looking across the broad scope of our lives and realize that confidence is something that only applies in a specific area. Right? You are not overwhelmingly confident or overwhelmingly not confident. There are areas where you don't have enough competence to have faith in it, and those are the areas where you're not confident. So you are not a confident or an unconfident person. I don't have confidence in this one area. So we have to shrink down the problem to something that's practical. Then you ask yourself, well, what would it look like if I was confident? How could I build more confidence? I'm sorry, I skipped a step. The first, second step is go back to times in your life where you have shown through your own experience that you've gotten better at something. Then you look at the thing that you want to look at and you want to say, what would it look like if I was confident? What would I accomplish if I was? There's a great uh, sales trainer, Cesar Rodriguez, right? Who says, if I was 10% bolder, what would I do? Right? So you ask yourself, what would someone that was confident do in the situation? So again, maybe you're talking about dating. You would go up to that girl or that man and you would ask him to go on a date. Or you're working in the office. I would walk in and I would tell my boss that I need a raise. Or you run a company and you would say, I would walk in and tell the head of my sales department that they, that they need to change and tweak a little bit what they're doing. Right? So what, what is confidence? Comp what would it look like for you? Right? Then you say, okay, great. So you can notice I have trouble in this area. Then you go into fact finder mode and you say, what do I get? Sorry, before that, you have to figure out what would, what would the goal look like in a practical way, right? So if you say, I'm a confident boss, I know what that means. You know, I'm a, I'm a successful salesperson. I don't know what that means. I'm a successful, you know, uh, I, I, I'm, I have a great body. Like what, what does that mean? Right? So you have to make it measurable. You have to make it specific and measurable so you can figure out, again, what's the idea? I'm just trying to get the needle a little bit closer to where I want to get it to. So you define what does success look like in that area. Then you go into fact-finding mode and figure out based on people that have done it, going back to the idea that there's nothing new under the sun, all the information is out there, especially now that you have YouTube or Google, it's like even easier you can imagine. Find out what skill sets need to be put in your life in order for you to be able to accomplish this, right? And then as we mentioned, as you learn enough, you'll start to desire to go out and to implement a little bit. Implement less than you think you can because it's hard to implement, so do one small step at a time. You have to reward, be completely compassionate to yourself that you're probably going to fall on your face a fair amount because that's new and fantastic. And then the final component would be that you want to over-reward yourself for the small-scale slides that you make. I'll give a practical example from my Jewish career, and then uh, and then hopefully, if I don't know if there's questions or we can take questions, but we'll we'll, we'll end it out there. So. <clears throat> 
I, when I showed up in yeshiva, which is a Jewish, like, let's call it grad school, uh, what the way it was, I had just come out of college. And for me, college was a very um, upside down experience in the sense that, and again, I'm not saying do this, uh, and this definitely affects a lot of how my, my mindset is set against institutions of higher learning, but I never studied, ever. I never studied, I probably studied for under, I would say under, uh, under 10 hours, a quarter right? Like, like an entire period of time. I didn't study, right? Now, I, I was a history major and I loved history. And so I would basically be able to get A's and B's based on my ability to just sort of know what I know and my ability to write. And I'm a really fast writer and I was successful at that. So that was my college experience, right? I went to a great college. I got A's and B's and I never studied. And then I go into what was at that time with my yeshiva, a situation which was uh, like a Jewish grad school. And we were studying the Talmud, which was in a different language than I had ever seen before. I have ADD. My mind works super fast. And so learning skills like, like languages for me was not an area I'm never interested in learning other languages. I don't want to speak other languages. It, the, the systematic learning of it doesn't appeal to me. Nothing. Some people like languages. Great. I don't, right? I'm not interested. And I like to grasp concepts quickly, but the entire system of studying the Talmud in a different language, it's a slow process where you're learning like multiple things at once. So it was exceedingly, exceedingly difficult for me. And I felt like an idiot, right? And I might've been in an environment that wasn't so, uh, so, so growth oriented or supportive for me, right? And it wasn't necessarily the right environment. And, and I was also growing religiously, right? And so that also is a whole like challenge. So I'm not, I'm not blaming, I'm just saying that was my, that was my reality. So after a year in a program, uh, a, the rabbi called on me to read and he asked me to read one of the commentaries and I read the commentary. I had no idea what it was talking about. I had no idea what, what, what the question was on the piece of the Talmud that it was supposed to be asking, but I was able to read and comprehend the words, right? In a small paragraph. And I remember the sense of being so happy with that small organic piece of growth that I had because just sitting there for a year, slowly taking it in, I was able to, the practical skill was, now I can read and translate a little bit. And I remember feeling so happy about that. So some people, again, you know, might look at that and say, wow, that's super pathetic. Or wow, look how slow you are. But for me, I'm like, this is legit. This is awesome. Because I see that even though it's not, you know, I'm not at the top of the class, by, I'm not even <laughs> at the top of the bottom of the class, right? By sitting there and pounding away at something, I've gotten just 10% better. And that 10% better gave me the confidence to say, hey, I can become 10% better more if I want now. So you have to over reward yourself for whatever small growth you have, because that's going to be the seed from next from, from which the next experience happens. So that's that's the end. That's the end ultimately, because then it becomes a repetitive cycle. Because ultimately, if you think about it, our whole lives are supposed to be growth. We're supposed to love to grow. We're supposed to be always developing, right? There's a Jewish idea called, uh, we call our rabbis Talmidei Chachamim, right? The students of the wise. And you're like, what do you call the students of the wise? The guy's like 80, 90 years old, and he knows more than anybody alive right now. And the answer is, but he's always studying from the masters that have written stuff down beforehand. So there's never an idea about being done with growth or being done with learning. So you have to develop a love for the process. You have to love the process. And the way that you build confidence and love the process is this I don't remember what it was, seven-step process that we discussed where it's just going to feed itself. And so then you're like, ah, okay, so I want to get better at this. And you're like, great, well, I did that in the past. And now I'm going to figure out how to do it and define what it is and, and get all the information. I'm going to execute a little bit more. And that, that how, it, how it generally creates 
taking a, pro, a problem from, from this esoteric, um, very debilitating situation, I have no confidence to, a very powerful experience of, I can really handle anything that comes my way. So I want to thank you all for that. I know we're going into a difficult time called Passover by yourself, potentially, or Passover with just your family, potentially. And it's the same thing, right? You're like, oh, God, I'm going to make it. I'm going to do a bad Seder because I've never run a Seder before. And it's like, you're right. So then what does a good Seder look like? Just slow it down. And who's runs a good Seder? You know, how do I find that? Well, cool. There's something called H.com or any a million other places. I could just look it up and I can watch a little bit. And is it going to be good as the guys that give it over? No. But maybe if I'm if I'm 10% better than I was yesterday, which is great because I've never done it before, so it's really easy. The bar super low. Then you'll be able to execute with distinction. I want to give you a blessing. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Again, thank you to the H.com staff for making this happen. Todd Rosenblatt, here's your shout out. Not that you need it because I want to give it to you because I appreciate what you're doing for your organization. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for joining me on Facebook. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.